my name is Reese. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, if you have a Bible on you, uh, if you don't, there's one in the little section, the back of the pew in front of you. You can grab a Bible and open it to Genesis chapter 2. We'll start in verse 4. Uh, if you cannot find a physical Bible, we'll have the word up on the slides. And before I begin, um, I would love to just chat a little bit about last weekend because um, as the youth pastor here at the church, I had the privilege of traveling with our youth students alongside uh, Hillside Church and Blue Mountain Baptist Church, and we went up to Camp Kakawa in Hope, which is a stunning place, and we had an amazing weekend together. And so I know on Easter Sunday, uh, many of you supported this weekend through um, buying our cookies and muffins and cupcakes and stuff like that that we had baked for you. And so thank you. And the reason I say thank you is because this weekend was really, really profound. Very, very profound. As I was having conversations with different students, um, uh, I heard words like transformative and a blessing, exciting, life-changing even, like there was, there was some really cool stuff that the Holy Spirit did in that weekend at camp. And so I encourage you, if you see a student around, um, ask them about the weekend, ask them about how much fun they had. We had a ton of fun. There was a lot of antics, for sure, you can ask them about that. I was personally chased for five minutes with a bucket of water. Um, it's the most cardio I've gotten in like five years. Um, and we had tons of fun, but most importantly, we got to have an encounter with Jesus together as a youth community, which was so precious. So thank you so much. Like, can we just give a round of applause for all of us? Like, I just feel like that's necessary. Um, it was an amazing weekend, so thank you, thank you, thank you for praying and supporting us um, and all that good stuff. So, um, as you know, we're in a teaching series in Genesis um, and we're landing in chapter 2, starting at verse 4. Um, and so if you found yourself there, we're going to read together right now. So, starting in verse 4. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no vegetation of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man who he had formed, out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, and tree of life, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gion. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. 
The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord formed, the Lord formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, one of my favorite feelings of all time, everyone's got a favorite feeling. One of my favorite feelings of all time is that feeling of when you get to observe something doing what it was designed to be doing. And I know you know kind of where I'm going with this, but let me just riff on this for a sec. When I was young, I got to ride on my first plane, and a lot of people remember that first plane ride, but I was privileged to sit at the window where you had like a full view of the wing. And as the plane took off, I got to see the little panels flip up, and things kind of start to come into place as this machine was doing what it was designed to be doing. And I was poking my dad next to me and saying, look at this, look at this. And he was like, it's pretty cool, huh? And I was like, yes, this is like exactly what it's supposed to be doing. I was so amazed. I felt a similar thing when my uncle, uh, at, a, at a family holiday, decided he would take me for a drive in his sports car. Um, and we pulled out of my driveway, and there's a street that just runs right off of our driveway, and he hit the gas, and my uh, whole body like was thrust into the seat, and I could not wipe the smile off my face for the whole ride. Uh, I tried doing the same thing a few years later with my Volvo, and it just didn't hit the same. <laughs> um, Dave was talking a few weeks ago about um, origin stories, how uh, a lot of heroes and comics, they, um, they have a specific origin story that kind of makes them who they are. And I would argue that many of us, if we look back into our lives, we have our own origin stories. Uh, and this is part of mine. Um, when I was 18 years old, I uh, was able to go on a three-month outreach to uh, the dense Amazon region of Brazil. Um, and I was working with a ministry that was reaching isolated groups of people uh, through boats and ships uh, just to help run kids' camps and teach the Bible. Um, about a month into this trip that I was on, uh, a close friend of mine passed away. 
just through tragic circumstances, and I was thrust in that moment into a huge faith crisis. And so here I am, I'm in the middle of the Amazon, supposed to be an 18-year-old missionary, and I'm not even sure if I believe in God. And one of the things that the leader of our team got each of, of us to do was to stretch ourselves and challenge ourselves to preach in a church, a local church in the Amazon. Um, and it was my turn. I couldn't avoid it. Um, it was my turn to preach. And this was the first time in my life that I was going to preach to a group of people. And so we arrived at this village, and there was a small church in this village, and um, it was time for me to preach. And so I got up, and I decided that I was going to choose something relatively simple, so Jesus calming the storm. Um, and I started kind of, you know, mumbling my way through the sermon and reading the text. And all of a sudden, um, it sounded like gunshots were hitting the tin roof of the church. Uh, what had happened is it started to, a, a torrential rainstorm just hit this village, and in a matter of minutes, uh, the dry uh, clay streets turned to almost a river, and the rain was pounding on top of this church, and it was borderline deafening. And it was in this really weird moment where, for me, I just had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I, can't, I cannot explain it. I can't put words to it. But it was in that moment I had this immense feeling of, here I am, I'm doing what I'm designed to be doing. And that's part of why I'm here doing this today, was because of that very moment. And so when we read Genesis 2 in this text, one of the amazing things we can glean from this amazing text is we see that humans were created and designed for a specific purpose. And that's what we're going to chat a little bit about today. So here's kind of the big idea that I want us to hang on to in our minds, is that humans were designed to flourish in four key relationships. Humans were designed to flourish in four key relationships. And so the relationships we're going to cover are relationship with earth, relationship with others, relationship with self, and relationship with God. And where we're going to ultimately land is that these are perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so before we get going, would you pray with me? Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Lord God, I thank you so much for all that you're doing here at Calvary. Thank you for those who are joining online on this long weekend. They are the real deal. I thank you for those who are here with us in the sanctuary this morning, both those who are regularly attending Calvary and those who are brand new to our church. Holy Spirit, would you welcome them here just through your presence? God, I pray that as I teach out of this passage that, Spirit, you would lead and guide me and that anything that I say that's off would fall on deaf ears, but that ultimately, Jesus, you would be foremost in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So before we look at these four relationships, we're going to just do a bit of an overview on the text. So I'd love for you to continue to have your Bibles open as we explore this a little bit. And one of the things that you might notice is that previously in Genesis 1, we had uh, watched or observed God uh, create, create 
uh, what we know as earth. And then as soon as we get to Genesis 2, we feel like it's deja vu a little bit. God, here he is creating again. Um, that might cause a few of us to be confused. Why is this taking place again? And here's a few things that I want to mention. Um, first of all, Dave noted in the previous messages that uh, we are looking at a different genre of literature here, that it's almost poetic. And the author, in this poetic nature, uh, has made the decision to focus a lot more on the heart of the narrative than on the order of things, the facts, all of that good stuff. We're meant to really fix our eyes on what's at the heart of this story here, instead of the peripheral facts and how everything fits together. Another thing is, is that we believe the, the author here um, in Genesis 1 was kind of giving us a bit of a bird's eye view, like a, like a space station view of God's creation of the world and creation of creatures and humans. Now what's happening is that we are getting a down-to-earth view of what's going on. We go from way up there to in the garden, seeing things from a totally different perspective. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we read through this text. So we're coming to a down-to-earth point of view. And this is written to a group of people, Israelites, in a time where uh, much of creation stories, like Dave mentioned before, uh, kind of were leading to the same place, that, that we were created by accident, that there were powerful gods who, in their conflict and through their power, just humans spilled out, and then humans, as creations, were this nuisance that all they were meant to do was try and appease the gods for survival. And so what we're seeing here is a different kind of emphasis on creation that the author is trying to communicate to a group of Israelites that are a minority in a hostile environment. And so we get placed in the Garden of Eden. And one of the things that we can kind of feel as we read about the Garden of Eden and all its beauty and, and uh, brilliance is we can feel a mix of grief and a, and a mix of hope. Grief that things have gone so wrong, that we've come so far away from God's original design and habitat for us, but hope that there will be a new garden. Christ's kingdom, where we'll dwell and live in relationship with God as we were in the Garden of Eden. So, immediately, um, one of the things that we notice as we read this text, and Walter Brueggemann, who is an Old Testament scholar, points this out, is that God gives man vocation, permission, and prohibition. Vocation, permission, and prohibition. Okay, so what's the vocation? Immediately we see that uh, God is asking man to till and keep the garden. So one of the first, first things in relationship with man that God does is he says, you have a vocation. Till and keep this place. What's the significance behind that? Second is permission. You may freely eat of every tree of the garden. We don't focus on that one much. 
that God has a huge emphasis. He says, you may freely eat of any tree in the garden. Have at it. Enjoy it. Enjoy creation because through creation, you will get a sense of my love. You may freely eat through any tree of the garden. Then, and then we get prohibition. And this is the one that we tend to focus on the most for whatever reason. Do not eat of this one specific tree. So most of the time, we almost entirely focus on the prohibition side of things. Um, yet the vocation and permission that God gives human is profound. And so uh, ultimately, what we're beginning to notice as we read this text is that God is giving humans a vision for what they were designed for. So I want us to keep that in mind as we continue to go on. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to dive into these four key relationships that we see in this text that uh, God has designed us to flourish in. Uh, relationship with earth, relationship with others, relationship with self, and relationship with God. So as we go on, we're going to point out the different texts within Genesis 2 in which we can see this relationship taking place. And so, number one, relationship with earth. And so in verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till and keep it, vocation. God places a high value, a very high value on the stewardship of his creation for the created human. We can't miss that. When I was younger and I was just learning to follow Jesus, I was in a Bible study, and the person leading the Bible study um, believed the opposite. Said, hey, who cares? It's all, it's all kind of uh, going downhill anyways, so uh, forget your recycling, forget your compost, whatever. He says, who cares? And I remember going, I, I was in this Bible study with my dad, and we were driving home, and I kind of agreed with him. I said, oh my goodness, yeah, like kind of a relief. I don't have to care about this. I can just kind of do my own thing. I remember my dad challenged me on it and really revealed in me that I was just lazy. And so that's a, a challenge that I continue to feel when I read this text. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till and keep it, not abuse it and pollute it. There's something there for us to notice. Verse 7 if we look back, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. And so, just a side note, um, man in Hebrew is Adam. Ground is Adama. There's a connection there. Man formed from ground. Adam formed from Adama. So, very interesting. God did not have to form man from the earth. He didn't have to. But what we need to notice is that we are a body made from earth. Much of the harmful ideology of our day would say that our bodies are nothing more than physical vessels for our soul. So we can do whatever we please with these physical vessels and that the end goal is to ultimately be freed from our body. And there was a whole philosophy in ancient times developed by the Greek philosopher Socrates, and I'm going to um, kind of really simplify this, but essentially um, he had said our bodies are a prison, and ultimately we experience true freedom from being freed from our bodies. And so this 
Socratic philosophy began to seep into the early church as well, and honestly, I think there's in a lot of ways we feel the ramifications of that today. So our destiny, according to Scripture, is not to be disembodied, but to have a new body in a new heaven and a new earth. That's what we find in the text. So relationship with earth is hugely important, not only that our vocation is to steward God's creation, but that we have to notice that we are formed from the ground. We are a body that matters, which is not just a prison to be freed from, to be disembodied. Relationship with earth. Second key relationship that God has designed for us to flourish in is relationship with others. So verse 18, I want you to follow along with me. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and every animal of the field. But for the man, there was, not a, uh, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. I want you to find your way back to that one key word. It is not good for man to be alone. Many times up until this point, what have we heard? It is good. God creates, and what does he say? It is good. We get to this point, and what does God say? It is not good for man to be alone. That's why we lament loneliness. We lament loneliness as Christians. We were not created to be alone. That is not good. We live in perhaps the loneliest time in history. Ironically, the most connected time in history. But as I have conversations with people, one of the things that I hear over and over and over again is I am lonely. We live in a lonely time. We live in a lonely city. But I think the church has something to say about that. Don't we? We have something to say about loneliness. And I actually think that God is calling us as the church, capital C Church, to meet one of the greatest needs of our time, which is community, relationship with others. God did not design us to be alone, but to be in relationship with others, flourishing relationship with others. Other created creatures won't do. Not the cows, not the birds, not the cats, not the dogs. These are all great things. Pets are awesome, but it won't do. God created us to be in relationship with others. So we fast forward, and in verse 18, we see uh, this word helper used. Helper. This is an interesting word. In Hebrew, it's ezer. And this is what it means. One who comes to help or save someone 
who is in trouble and cannot manage alone. One who comes to help or save someone who is in trouble and cannot manage alone. So God creates woman as Ezer, as helper. And a lot of the women are like, it makes so much sense now. <laughs> One who comes to help or save someone who is troubled and, and cannot manage alone. The only other time this Hebrew word is used is when God uses it to describe himself. Ezer, the helper, the one to come to help or save someone who is in trouble and cannot manage alone. How powerful is that? Man needs someone strong to come help him out of his helplessness. This is why we celebrate marriage as well. Marriage is a beautiful connection in which we have uh, this relationship in which there's a helping of one another. There's a support of one another. But this relationship isn't just found in marriage. As singles, that relationship is for you as well. In relationship with others. It is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for anyone to be alone. So part of God's design for humans is that they would be in a flourishing relationship with one another. So we were designed to be in relationship with others. That's the second key relationship I want to focus on. The third is relationship with self. Relationship with self. So relationship with earth, relationship with others, now relationship with self. Verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What a funny verse. Naked and unashamed. This means they lived without masks. They lived without masks. Um, this psychologist named Russell Willingham, he coined this communication theory called relational masks, and here's what they are. They're pr protective behaviors that we develop as a response to pain that we've experienced mostly from our childhood. We all live with masks. We all maintain our masks. This is a result of the broken relationship with the self that God did not design us for. I have worn many masks in my life. Pain that I've experienced has caused me to communicate and relate with others in a damaged way, but also relate with myself in a damaged way. And you might be sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, wow, I've, I've maintained some masks in my life. The beauty of man and woman being naked and not ashamed is that they are saying, I can be myself without the mask. I can be myself without the mask. God's design for us is that we would be in a flourishing relationship with the self, one without shame, one without hiding. Quote, unquote, naked and not ashamed. Relationship with self. And lastly, relationship with God. Relationship with God. Last week, Dave preached on the fact that we were made for the relationship. 
And that's a little bit of what I want to touch on here lastly. So we find ourselves in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man who he had formed. This is the relationship that makes all of the other relationships work. This is what brings them all together. This is the glue. There is a deep intimacy that we don't always catch in God breathing into the created human. Dave mentioned this Hebrew word. It's a powerful word, ruach. Ruach. And it means a few things. It means wind, it means breath, but it also means spirit. God breathed his empowering presence into his creation, something that we do not see with any other created being. God gets close, close enough to breathe into the nostrils of the human. That's an intimate picture, sometimes like almost uncomfortably intimate. But he, did, he doesn't just breathe anything, he breathes his very spirit into his creation. And I want you to imagine how staggering this really is. Like if you could just pause for a moment and think about how in the ancient Near East, this was a time in which the common creation accounts was, was you are an accident, you are an inconvenience, God hates you, and so what you need to do is you need to do whatever you can to please and serve God so that you and your family can just stay alive. Yet here's Yahweh, who comes close enough to breathe his very life through the nostrils of the created human. God shapes the human out of the ground like a potter with tenderness and gentleness and attention and care as any artist would give to their creation. Everything else he creates with a word. He speaks it into existence. Yet here he is with his hands, on his hands and knees, molding a human and breathing his life into the nostrils of this human. What kind of God does that? Where all other gods say, serve me, serve me, serve me. You're an inconvenience to me. Here's Yahweh. Breathing his very life and forming a human. I can only imagine being told my whole life that I was an accident. That my creation's an in inconvenience. Only to learn that God created you. And there might be someone in here today who believes something like that about themselves. I, I know some of your stories. I don't know all of your stories, but maybe you're sitting in here today and you struggle to believe that you were created with love and with care and with God's very breath and hands. And I want you to know you are not an accident. You are not an inconvenience to God. You are God's masterpiece. So we found this fourfold relational harmony that God has designed us for. 
And where we're going to land is that we see this perfected in Jesus. Jesus, as we read in Scripture, becomes the new and perfect Adam and Eve. And so, in Jesus Christ's relationship with earth, he became a body. God became this very body that he formed out of the dust of the ground. He himself enters into that body. And Jesus knew God's heart for creation. He even references it when he says, look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly Father feeds them. He's a steward, but he also recognizes that he is in a body as well. And his relationship with others, Jesus did not live life alone. Jesus flourished in relationship with others. So he is the new and perfect Adam, but he is the new and perfect Ezer as well. The ultimate helper to those who are helpless. One who comes to help and save and support those who cannot defend themselves and those who are in need of assistance and help. Jesus says, love others as I I have loved you. And in his relationship with self, he lived free from the mask. He lived free from the mask. He knew who he was. Jesus was confident in who he was. And we see that throughout the Gospels. Jesus in perfect relationship with the self and in relationship with God. There's so much to say about God's intimate and deep relationship with the Father. He modeled absolute dependence on God. Absolute dependence on God. He said, for the Father loves the Son. He knew that. And he also said, I can do nothing on my own accord. Jesus completely fulfills the design that God had set aside for humans. Completely. And he flourishes in these four key relationships. And so we do not need to look further than the the model of Jesus to see what God had designed humans for. I don't know in your life which of these four relationships needs the most attention. In which area you need some grace. What I do know is that for each of us, uh, we come into this sanctuary in the morning with brokenness that there might be brokenness in one or two or three or all of these relationships. It's important for us to do this internal audit and to ask ourselves the hard question of what needs to change? What needs to change? I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And what we're going to do here is we're just going to spend a few minutes in prayer. And I want us to go through these relationships and to assess our lives. In what way do we need to look more like Jesus in this way? So, if you're able to, I just want to invite you to stand. And we're going to pray together. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in our lives. So, would you pray with me?
Lord, we recognize that we have a vocation to till and keep the land. What does that look like for us in our lives right now? Lord, we also recognize that we are a body formed from the ground. What is our relationship with our own body? Lord, you said that it is not good for us to be alone. Are we alone? Do we struggle with loneliness right now? Jesus, I pray for anyone in this room right now that is experiencing deep loneliness, that that person would have an encounter with you in this moment, that they would see your face of love and care. Lord, do we have broken relationships with others? What could we do to have those relationships flourish again? Lord, how's our relationship with ourselves? And are there any masks that we're wearing? For those of us who wear the mask of being emotionally cold, for those of us who wear the mask of arrogance, for those of us who wear the mask of being timid, would as we come before you and in relationship with others be free of our shame, take off the mask and have an encounter with you. And Lord, for the relationship that brings all of these relationships together, we need to ask ourselves, are we far from you right now? Are we in actual relationship with you? If we find ourselves distant from you, Would we have an, an encounter with your spirit? Would we draw close to you? And will we journey back to being in relationship with you, God? Flourishing relationship with you, God, as we see modeled in the life of Jesus. So, Lord, we recognize that we were designed for a specific purpose. And it was to flourish in this fourfold relationship. Find harmony in this area. 
would we look to the person of Jesus as the one who perfected this fourfold relational harmony? Be with us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.